Christmas carols, so some of them are easier to sing than others, and tonight a lot of people consider this to be a very difficult one, but we're going to start with it. It's found on page number six, O Holy Night. So we're going to sing this entire carol here, O Holy Night. The first verse says, O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our, the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, O hear the angel voices. A night, O night divine, O night when Christ was born. O night, O holy night, O night Divine. It's hard to imagine we're singing a song that was written almost 180 years ago, um, and it's still just as popular, it seems, if not more, uh, than in the initial years that it was sung. So we'll sing this whole carol together, O Holy Night. O Holy Night, the stars are Yeah. 
first night. They say they always give that one to the most difficult uh, or challenging of singers, and uh, has a very wide range, as you can tell. Um, but it was very good. Good to hear that sung tonight. Um, so before we open up, we'll ask for God's blessing on our meeting. Let's pray to Him. Our Father in heaven, we come this evening on a Sunday night here in December, uh, and we are thankful, Lord, that uh, truly uh, the winters come and the winters go, and these songs that have marked the experience of not only us, but countless generations before us, they tell us that there is something significant, even about the time of year, about the things that we celebrate, and we pray, Lord, that even tonight as we read from the scriptures and go over this carol from so many years ago, uh, that we would realize this evening, once again, of a God who uh, came to where we were, became a man, and was willing to lay down his life that we could one day be where he is, to have our sins forgiven, to have peace with God, and as our carol tonight has pointed out, to know of a worth that we have that cannot be compared to anyone else's estimate of us because of one who is willing to lay down his life for us. So help us as we speak tonight. We ask the Lord to give our audience, too, uh, tonight, ears to hear uh, what the Lord would have to say to them. This we ask now in your son's name, the Lord Jesus. Amen. So if you got one of these when you come in tonight, remember to bring it back. You come back on other nights, because this is going to be our hymnal um, for the week. And each night we're going to sing a different carol from this booklet. And uh, at the end of tonight's meeting, we'll sing um, the one that we're going to do tomorrow night, which is uh, on page number one, What Child Is This? So even now you can start to practice for that. So um, we're going to read a scripture tonight, as we'll do each night. And then we're going to talk about this uh, very famous Christmas carol, Carol, O Holy Night. I heard some people talking about carols in the beginning of the meeting. Uh, and it's an old French word for something joyful, something very pleasant to sing about. So sometimes songs can be down, sometimes they can be melancholy, sometimes they can be sad. But Christmas carols, by their name, are joyful and they're uplifting songs because they tell us about the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And a lot of them tell us the significance of that birth was that he was going to give his life for sinners. So it's something to remember. If you think carols are, hey, I'm not into carols, there's still about 16% of Americans who go Christmas caroling. So you've got to ask yourself, am I part of that very small population? I know that my brother and I, we are part of that 16%, and we're looking for others to join us in that small percentage of Americans uh, who go around Christmas caroling every year. Um, and that dates back to the 1200s, when individuals would go from house to house, and they used to call it wassailing. And that's where that song comes, here we go of wassailing. I think that's how you say it. Um, amongst the, the leaves so green. So it's an interesting study about carols and singing them and going from house to house. We're not going to come to your house, but you're glad that you come here to hear us speak about these. So we're going to read a verse together. It's found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, very famous verse. Um, and it has in it the title and words that we've sung tonight about the Savior. So Luke 2 and verse 10 in your Bibles. Luke 2. It's only Matthew and Luke that tell us about the birth of the Lord Jesus. And so most of our verses maybe will come from these, these Gospels and weeks and nights to come. Luke 2 and verse 10 says this, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, don't be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings, that's good news, of great joy, which shall be to all people. So if you're here tonight, remember, no one's excluded from this. This is to all people. It doesn't matter who you are, how old you are, where you come from. This is good news to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Just think about that. A Savior. What do I need to be saved from? We're going to talk about that tonight. A Savior, which is Christ the Lord. 
Christ the Lord. I know that God will bless the reading of his word. So the carol, I keep wanting to say him, but the carol that we've sung tonight, O Holy Night, if you went back to 1843 to a, a very small village called Roquen Marie, I think my French is not very good, but in that small place, if you've been to France, and most of us haven't, although the French are our oldest allies, they've been friends of ours since we formed this country here in the U.S., but in that southern part of France, there was a small village here, Roquemarie, and, and in that village, there was a church. I don't know how big it was, but the story goes, the year was 1843, and in that church, they had just gotten, as far as history tells us, they had gotten a new organ. They had gotten a new organ that had set up, and they had had new stained glass also put up for this very special Christmas Eve 1843. And like all big events, no one wants to get a new organ and, and redo their windows and not have something to, to draw the people in. So the, uh, the, the head man, the minister at this church, he asked uh, a local, he actually kind of ran the local liquor store, actually, surprisingly. He was a wine dealer. And he asked this man, his name was Placide Capu, and I wrote that down here. He says, we need a song. We need something to mark this occasion, this Christmas Eve of 1843. And so Mr. Pugh says that he was taking a ride in a wagon from Marseille down to another part of France, although people aren't sure that he did it in the wagon, but this is what he says, and he come up with these words as he took this ride through the city, and as he rode in this wagon down this place in France. And as he was going along on this ride, he started to pen down the words to O Holy Night. And it was a poem. It was just a poem, O Holy Night. And it's not even, it wasn't even in English, it was in French. And the way the French would have sung it is it would have, uh, it would have come across um, in our English as Midnight Christians, Midnight Christians, or Minuit Christians. And it was a, a poem he had wrote about the Lord Jesus coming here at midnight, which is not in the Bible, but he wrote this poem about O Holy Night, and he needed a good tune. And you'll recognize, when we sing these carols each night, they have fantastic tunes. It's not just the words. But also the, the melody and the tune are, are astounding. And tomorrow night we're going to sing um, What Child Is This? And it too has this tune from Greensleeves that was from way back um, almost six or 700 years ago. So he, he, he helped, he was helped by his, uh, a friend of his, Alf Adams, to write this tune to this song, to this carol, Carol, O Holy Night. And in 1843, for the first time on Christmas Eve, O Holy Night was read, I don't even think they had an ability to sing it, it was read as a poem in this place in southern France. And a very significant time, this very 1843, if you look up the history in 1843, there's not much that went on that year. Very insignificant year, and yet this Christmas carol was penned at the end of that year. And so as we look at that, it was still going to be about 10 years later in 18. 55, that a man who lived just north of here in Massachusetts, and his name was John Sullivan Dwight, he translated from French to English the carol that we've sung tonight. And he worked at a school that was part of a commune up there uh, in the eastern part of Massachusetts. And so he took it upon himself to translate this 10-year-old this carol into English. And ever since then, it's been a favorite amongst people every Christmas. In fact, if you look on most charts for the past 100 years, it has always been number one or number two. It competes with Silent Night, which is a pretty big competition. So, as we look at this carol, what I want to speak on tonight are just one word or one line that is found in this carol, this carol that has so much good imagery in it. You know, uh, it tells us here, it's a nighttime birth. I don't know how many people here were born at night. Uh, I have a son, and he was born at four in the afternoon. And it kind of just seems, eh, 
no, before in the afternoon. I remember waking up as a child, and you always wanted to wake up and find out there was another member to your family. All my brothers were born at night. We always remember that because we'd wake up to find our grandmother in the next room over, and not our mom. So a nighttime birth. And the Bible tells us that, that the Lord Jesus was born at night. And maybe you maybe don't know, or maybe you have forgotten this. Remember, when he died, it was at the brightest moment of the day, except, except it was dark out. Miraculous. He was born at night, and yet when he died, it should have been the strongest part of the sun shining, and yet the sun refused to sign. This night that the, the writer of this carol says that it was a night in which the stars brightly shining, because we, we know that miraculously there was a, a star that directed them to where he was to be born in Bethlehem, but yet on the night in which, or the day in which the Savior died, we, we realize the sun, the greatest star that we know of in our, in our solar system here, it refused to shine. So what a contrast between his birth and his death. But the one line I want to look at here is this line in this carol, and maybe you'll remember this. It's one of my favorite lines in the whole carol of All Holy Night, and it's this. Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. 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 And that's what I want to speak about this evening. He appeared, and the soul felt its worth. Very difficult thing when we think about the soul. A lot of people can tell you what the body is worth. A lot of people. In fact, if you go on to some of these medical journals, and they said, you know, the body, just by, just by price tag, the body, were it to be sold, could fetch somewhere between... 45 to 55 million dollars. But try to put a price tag on a soul. A heart transplant, where you'd be able to go to some hospital tomorrow to get a heart transplant, it would cost somewhere around 1.6 million dollars. And you know what? The heart's free. No one charges for the heart. You think, who could put a price tag on a heart? Who could put a price tag on any part of the human body and yet we do, but it's so hard. How do you give a price to the human soul? You know what happens every day in our world and in our towns and in our... We put a price tag on our human soul. Because tonight, where you sit, tell me this. If this is your last day on earth, where will you be tomorrow? That determines how much you think you're worth. Where will you be tomorrow? You say, oh, I'm worth a lot. I'll make it, no, tell me, tomorrow, will you be in heaven or will you be in hell? And you know what that's determined by? It's determined by someone else who gives you your worth, not you. And we're going to read about not only this carol tonight, but famous words that the Lord Jesus said. He said, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world at this Christmas to get everything that you want, to gain everything? and to lose your soul. And the Lord Jesus said these eternal words. He goes, what will a man give? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? We say that sometimes. We say, oh, he sold his soul. He gave it away. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Tonight in this meeting, from the Bible, you know what you're guaranteed? You're guaranteed to leave this building tonight. And you could walk out of here knowing this, that if you died, you could lose your soul. Or you could walk out of here tonight knowing this, you could lose your sin. Lose it. Why? Because of the man who gives you your worth. I want to talk about three things tonight to give us our worth. How do we know what we're worth? How do we know what the soul is worth? Well, the Bible clearly tells us about three different ways in which we know what we are worth and how valuable we are. Since the day we were born until the day we die, irregardless of what we have done, the Bible tells us what we are worth to the one who made us, to the one who has determined our lifespan, who knows the hairs on our head, who knows everything about us, knows everything that's gone through our mind, who knows what we've done, what we've thought, who knows all these things, the one who has designed us, thinks we're incredibly valuable. I want to talk about three things tonight. They all start with the letter A. We are valuable because God has answered us. He has answered us and spoken to us. You know, people who ignore you 
you're valuable. They don't. If, even at school sometimes, you know someone who thinks you're worth it because they stop and they talk to you. So we're going to talk about a God who answers. Also, an attitude that came from God that was more than just an attitude that he was willing to put up with us. No, an attitude that he loved us. And not only that, but the actions from God above. That not only did he communicate with us, not only did he love us, but actions that were unparalleled that he died for us. The first one, a God who answered us. It was December 21st, 1906. No one here was around. December 1st, 20, 1906. It was a place um, just north of here, um, and it was Brant, Brantford, Brant, Rock Brand, Massachusetts, and there was this, he was like a, an engineer. He used to work for Thomas Edison down in New Jersey, but had been from Ontario, Canada, and he had moved down to this place in Massachusetts, and he was a bit of a tamper with things. He, he liked to work on stuff and tinker with things, and a very capable engineer. This man's name was Reginald Fessiman. And so he was about 33 years old, uh, an aspiring engineer, had worked for Edison, and there he was. This last week, last couple weeks in December, and he was tampering with something that was called amplitude or amplitude magnification, this, this, this unknown scientific study. And here he was, and it come to Christmas Eve, and Christmas Eve, 1906, for the first time, out in the Atlantic Ocean, there were all these boats. They worked for the United Fruit Company. These boats were sailing out in the seas, and, and they had wireless communication in which people could communicate with them. But the communication was just sounds, just, just sounds that would come across this thing like just sounds that, that could transmit to them information about tidal changes and weather patterns and things like that. For the first time in human history, Reginald Fesserman invented, and for the first time a human voice was heard on AM radio. On Christmas Eve, 1906, think of all the things to say. Imagine, imagine tonight, none of us listen to AM radio anymore. It's kind of a thing for senior citizens. But some of us still do, me included. I love AM radio. It reminds me of my grandfather. I like listening to it. For the first time on Christmas Eve in 1906 on AM radio, Reginald Fesserman got his mic up and he read the same verses that I read tonight from Luke chapter 2. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. He then picked up his violin and of all the songs, of all the songs that you could play. And he had at his behest an, an, an incredible, all these different songs, these, these uh, songs that could be played from Americans, from folk singers, from, from some of the European ballads. And then he picked up his violin, and on Christmas Eve, 1906, for the first time, the first song that was ever played on radio was O Holy Night. And he played it, and he sang the last verse. Truly, he taught us to love one another. Talked about his gospel. Peace. You think, what an apt way for AM radio to start over 115 years ago, 16 years. You think, that's remarkable. Communication. You imagine those men out on the Atlantic. Not a light in sight. Not a soul in sight. And here they, they have a machine that they've only ever heard. They've only heard these noises come out of them, and all of a sudden they hear a man's voice. They must have thought that they heard the voice of God. And to hear this carol played, O Holy Night, you know, remarkable, these men would have thought, we're being communicated to as never before, never before in human history has anyone ever heard a voice come over the, the frequencies or the airwaves with no wires connecting it. Never before had Scripture been read and heard hundreds of miles away without a wire ever to connect it. You think, what a significant time that was. And yet it pales in comparison to this fact that our own Carol said, Long lay the world in sin and error. Pining. Pining means you're, 
you're longing, just waiting for an answer, for, for something to solve. If you ever have a problem and you say, oh, if only someone could come and solve this problem. You ever been in a cold room and all you can pine for is for the heat to come on. You ever been waiting for someone to, to bring you your meal and you're just pining, that's the word, for someone to bring you food because you're so hungry. You know, our, our carol says, long lay the world in their sins and all that they had done wrong. And they were just longing, longing for an answer. How do we know that we are worth something? Because the God of heaven spoke to us. We have, we have all his words written down here. Words so significant. Sometimes people, they, they, they say, well, if someone's willing to talk to me, I'm willing to listen. And yet here in this Bible, such a significant book, you know, Christmas time is, is the time of year where the most communication takes place. There are 330 million Americans. Do you know how many Christmas cards go out? Between December 1st, and if you're late, like I am some years, December 27th, 1.3 billion Christmas cards go out. We love to communicate this time of year. We love it. To send a card to say, hey, we're thinking about you. We, we want to know how you're doing. How's your family? It could be people you haven't seen in a year, five years, ten years. You haven't seen them since high school. But something about December makes us want to reach out and say, how are you doing? You know what? God didn't wait for December. God's not waiting for you to communicate to you. He did that. And he did it almost 2,000 years ago. And he says, here is my communication. And it was a man, Jesus Christ. And this man, Jesus Christ, who came into this world, you hear his words. His words were resounding with hope, with joy, for people who were waiting and longing. He said words like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to the Father except by me. He said words like this, I've come to seek and to save those that are lost. He said words like this, if you die in your sins, you cannot be where I am. He said these words because God was longing to communicate with you. He didn't need to wait till December. He didn't need to wait until you were older. God wants to speak to you tonight and he wants to tell you this. If you are looking for a solution to the greatest problem that man has ever known of how to scratch the sin away from the soul, know this, you were worth it because God spoke. And when he spoke, he did not waste his words and he did not waste his breath. When God spoke, he told us, you're worth it because he could tell us of a son who came to redeem us, to pay, to pay a cost. And he wanted us to know. He didn't want to do it and send the card late. He wanted us to know, and he gave us his word. So that there's anybody here tonight, anybody, anybody from the front row to the last row who says, no, 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 you can never be sure that your sins are forgiven. My friend, it is the card amongst all cards. This is the card that cannot be compared with. It has the divine handwriting on it. It has come from heaven above, where no holidays are celebrated, except for the grandest and greatest of holidays, when God's Son was crucified, and he has given us a card signed with his own name and says, you were worth it. And he wants you to know, and so he communicated. How do we know we are worth it? He has communicated. Not only that, but his attitude. Attitude, and not just liking us, loving us. There's a lot of songs about carols that deal with wartime. And to be honest, I don't know how many of them are true. This one is true. It was 2006. It was over in Iraq, a place called Fallujah. Maybe many of us are aware of that from watching the news back then. Operation Iraqi Freedom. There was a young uh, army lieutenant. He was in the 2nd Battalion. And he had been stationed there actually once. He was 28 years old, so he was going back a second time. A second time to be over there stationed, you think, that's a, that's a big deal. His name was Edward Ewan, 28 years old. Edward that day, it was November 21st, 2006, 
um, was hit with a, a propelled grenade that had sent shrapnel through, right through his lower side, through his abdomen. He was brought in uh, back in there to the hospital uh, to be worked on by the army physician. And at the same time, the local chaplain was called Ron Camarda. He was a chaplain who had been over there for eight months. And Ron was called in, and, and, and he usually got there later on, the chaplain, but he got there early, and, and he helped. He helped get Edward onto the, onto the gurney. He helped, actually, the surgeon um, with, with some of his tools and, and working on this, this cadet as he was there and, and, and working just to save his life and, and, and to preserve his life, this 28-year-old whose family was back in Nebraska. And, and, and for hours they worked on him. And at one point, the physician turned to the chaplain, Mr. Ron Camarda, and he said, there's nothing I can do, he's all yours. And that chaplain, who had been in Iraq at that point, I think for about eight months, he leaned over the lieutenant, Edward, and he said to him, he said, he said you're, you're going to die. It was still six weeks until Christmas. But the only thing that the chaplain knew to do was what he had done when his own mother had died. And he started to sing, Oh, Holy Night. And he's saying, O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope. And when he said the next words, the weary world rejoices. Uh, the chaplain in his notes, you can go online and read them, said that from... Uh, from that sergeant's eyes, he saw a tear come. He sang through the rest of the carol, all three verses. He said, and at that point, he was going to leave, but for some reason, unbeknownst to him, he had this impulse to lean down to a man that he had never met before and was about to see go out into eternity. And he leaned down and just said to that man, he said, I, I love you. And that day, November 21st, you can look him up. He's been awarded medals. That day, Staff Sergeant Edward Ewan died six weeks before Christmas without a family member around him, thousands of miles from home, with the last things that he heard ringing through his ears were the words that you've heard tonight. The soul felt its worth, a thrill of hope that the weary world could rejoice. There's not a lot of things that the world offers us to rejoice in tonight. But maybe this is that no matter the difficulties and the problems that our sin have caused us, our sin, not someone else's, our sin, the Bible tells us that there was one who came and he came to give his life for sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and who here would not stand up and say with the Apostle Paul, of whom I'm the best, of whom I'm the greatest? And that day, that day long ago, 16, 17 years ago, when this staff sergeant did it, just to say I love you to an unknown man, you say, what warranted it? Why would he say that to a man who was going to die? What, what had evoked the love? I don't know. Maybe just sympathy. Maybe feeling for a man who had no family around him. Maybe, maybe feeling that this man had, had kind of given his life for him in some way or another. But, but what would ever bring the love out to say, to say, I love you to a man after he sang a Christmas carol six weeks before Christmas? You say, what would have caused that? Tell me, what has caused the God of heaven to love you? What did you do to earn the God, love of God? What did you do to warrant that? At Christmas time, we often joke as parents, and we, we kind of always commiserate and say, really, if we looked at what the children have done all year long, no one really deserves a Christmas gift. No, no, one, no one has really earned it. No one has been deserving of this. There may be a few parents here who have the bumper stickers of how wonderful children are, but no, no child has deserved this great, grandiose gift that we're about to give them. We do it because we love them. 
Sometimes we think we deserve the love of God. Sometimes we think something in us has done something for God to love us. But what we ignore is we ignore what God has communicated to us when he said that we actually hated him. And we didn't even have a reason. We had no reason to hate him, but we did. And when we think of that, I read that story. And when I read that story about what that chaplain did for that lieutenant, I thought, what incredible, what incredible love, what incredible sign and display for one man to sing to another who is about to pass into eternity and to make sure that the last words he ever heard were, I love you. You know, what's incredible is this, that as, as a creation, we crucify the Lord of glory. And the last words he heard from us was, we don't want It might as well have been our hands that placed the nails in his. It might as well have been our mouths that said, come down from the cross if you're who you say you are. It might as well have been our hearts that wanted anything but for that man to leave that cross. And the last thing that he heard from us was just hatred, was just mockery. To think that's how he died. And in turn, he says this, I have loved you with a love that is everlasting. I have loved you incomparably. You say, why? Why in the world? Why would such an attitude be shown to us? Why would this be done? God loves you. And you know what the mystery is? Is that he needs no reason. He needs no reason. It's part of who he is. That's who he is. God is love. And God has loved you, and this is his attitude towards us. Does not need a reason to love you, and thank God he doesn't need a reason, because if I were to give him a reason, what if I couldn't do it anymore? What if I couldn't hold up my end of the bargain? What if, if God loved me because of the way I sung, because of the way I spoke, because of the, what I did for people in need, what if I couldn't do it anymore, but he still loved me? God says, I don't need a reason, but tonight, I ask you, before you leave those doors, will you go out of the building as one who hates him, who has one who has received his love. Because the choice is yours. The choice is yours. Anyone can leave that building tonight and say that I love God, and yet, you know what they say? I don't know if I'm going to be with him one day. No, only enemies say that. Only enemies. Only enemies can leave the building and say, I wonder if he really loves me. Thank God that he died for enemies. Thank God that he died for people who hated him. Thank God for this, that because he has spoken to us, because he has showed his love, that without any shadow of a doubt, salvation doesn't depend on what I think. It depends on his son. It doesn't depend on my confidence. It depends on Calvary. It doesn't depend on my ability. It depends on the ability of God's well-beloved son on that night so long ago. His attitude... His actions. His actions display love like nothing else. That a man would lay down his life for his enemies shows us something of the action of God to know that we are worth something. The Bible tells us in the book of 1 Peter that we have not been purchased, redeemed with silver and gold, which any one of us would love to get this Christmas, but it's, it's nothing. We haven't been redeemed with, with these worthless things that we think are valuable, but instead we've been redeemed, we've been purchased with the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without blemish and without spot. So this evening, his actions tell us something about our worth, that we are worth so much to God because he communicated to us, because he loved us, but because he died for us. This might come as a shock to you. Both men who wrote, O Holy Night, Placide Capute. When we look at the man who translated it into English, John Sullivan Dwight. <coughs> Both these men, if they died with what they believed throughout their lives, they are not in heaven. That may shock you. 
The man who wrote O Holy Night in French and in English, the man who wrote it in French, he thought that the story of the Nativity was nothing greater than a fairy tale. The man who translated it into English didn't believe that Jesus Christ was God's Son. He believed that we all had enough good within us to get to heaven. The men who wrote this, if they died with what they believed throughout their lives, they are not with the man who this carol speaks of tonight. You say, how do you know? Because the Bible says so. So you want to know something? doesn't matter what carols you write. doesn't matter what words you pen. doesn't matter how wonderful of a letter you could ever compose to men or to God. My friend, if you leave tonight, remember this. Salvation doesn't depend on your actions. Salvation is only necessary because of your actions. Your actions are the only prerequisite for you to be in heaven, and your actions were sin. But the only way you'll ever be in paradise, the only way you'll ever be in Emmanuel's land, the only way you'll ever be with the man who answered our problem, Jesus Christ, is because of his action. When on an April 3rd afternoon in the year AD 33, Jesus of Nazareth went to a cross outside of Jerusalem, and for six hours, from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., he hung on a cross so that beyond any shadow of a doubt, you would know you were significant. You would know you were loved, and you would know this evening that you could be forgiven. How many people would long to love to know that? You say, oh, so many. So many. And to know that our actions in no way disqualify us from forgiveness, that our actions should only lead us, as the hymn writer says, to long, to long for a solution to be presented. And here, and only here, in the Bible, and in the words of this carol, do we ever have any chance to fall on our knees, to hear what the angels said so long ago, that unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is God the Lord, who is Christ the Messiah, who is Jesus. Why Jesus? Because he will save his people from their sins. Anybody longing for salvation? Anybody have, a, have just a, a fed-up attitude, a longing, as the carol writer could say, a pining, a pining to know your sins forgiven? Here is offered to you someone who is holy, because we are not. There was nothing holy about the night, so we can sing it. The night had nothing holy in it. It was just like any other night. What made that night remarkable in Bethlehem was that God became a man. Calvary, that afternoon, there was nothing holy about the afternoon. What made it an incredible, incredible afternoon was that someone who was holy took the place of someone who was ungodly. There was a time in my life where I recognized that. And you know what? Thank God for anybody else here who also has recognized that. This evening, as we've sung this carol about the birth of Christ, don't forget what are probably the most prolific words in it. When he appeared, the soul felt its worth. That doesn't mean the soul was saved, but the soul knew it was valuable. The worst thing you could do is that if this is your last day in this world, would it be to spend an eternity knowing that I had a soul that God thought was not only incredibly valuable, but worth more than anything else in this world. And that I would turn away from his words to me, from his love to me, and from his death for me. That I could turn from those things, maybe not even turn from them, but put them off to another day. To think that in those actions there is not enough for you to know tonight that my worth is not ever going to be based on me it's going to be based on someone else God's own beloved son who died for our sins that we might be reconciled to God that we might be forgiven 
believe him tonight. And tonight, I don't know if you'd call it a holy night, but you know what? There's angels tonight. They would sing the same way they sung at Bethlehem if just one person in this meeting got saved tonight. The Bible tells us that. The same way. It would be just like Bethlehem all over again. I'm sure there's not a single night that maybe goes by in this world where the angels don't sing just like they did long ago. Because that means such an incredible amount to God when someone else recognizes how much worth is in Calvary and in Jesus Christ who died for sinners there. We'll close in a word of prayer. Our Father, we give thanks once again for your Son, our Savior. Thankful for this carol. And although the words are powerful, we once again recognize that they have no power to save. We're thankful, Lord, to read from your word tonight. And from your word that tells us we needed a Savior. We're thankful, Lord, that we can depend upon your words to assure us that what was done at Calvary was enough. That the payment that was made and the cost was fully met in order to ransom us, to pay our debt, to set us free. And so even this evening, we would once again praise our Savior, fall on our knees, hear the angels' voices once again, and just be amazed that the night long ago when he came into the world, it was in order that he would die, and he knew exactly who we were, even then. Help us, Lord, to appreciate once again the cost of Calvary. We pray, Lord, that there would be a soul here who would place their trust in your Son for their salvation. This we ask in his name, the Lord Jesus. Amen. What we're going to do each night is we're going to sing the carol that we will take up in the night to come. And that'll be so that we can sing each one at least twice. And it'll also give us somewhat of a practice. For the night to come. And so tomorrow night we're going to look at number, the first one in the book, which is on page one, and it is, What Child Is This? What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet, while shepherds watch are keeping. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him love, the babe, the son, of Mary. We'll sing the whole carol, this first one in the booklet, What Child Is This? What child is this who